0: Welcome to Hitchcock Chronologically, the show where I, Jeff, go through each and every one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in the order that they were released in cinemas, now presented in Technicolor. This is the first Hitchcock movie I've reviewed for this podcast that's in color. It's called Rope. It stars Jimmy Stewart and uh, a couple other people, but most notably, a gentleman by the name of John Dahl. Now, John Dahl is the main reason to watch this movie. Uh, He is great in every scene, but he this is going to be sort of a a niche description of him if you watch wrestling. (laughs) But uh, he looks like Ben Affleck mixed with Christian Cage. Uh, Put it in Google. You'll get an idea who I'm talking about. But he is one of the two protagonists, three protagonists in this movie. It's hard to say who John Dahl definitely gets the bulk of screen time and dialogue, although Jimmy Stewart is, of course, the top bill. And if you don't know who Jimmy Stewart is, he's pretty famous. He was in um, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Probably one of the most longest. What word am I looking for? One of the most celebrated Christmas movies of all time. He's also in a few more Hitchcock films to come. Most notably Vertigo, that's going to be his big movie. Sort of like with Cary Grant is in a bunch of movies, but mostly people know him from North by Northwest. Now there's a point in this movie where Hitchcock references himself. I didn't see a cameo. If there was one, it would have been at the very, very beginning in the opening credits, and I just didn't see it uh, because it's a street down view. So I didn't see a cameo of Hitchcock, but uh, if it's not in there, visibly he verbally references himself because he talks the guests or the the characters in this movie talk about having seen a movie starring Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and they couldn't remember the name of it but they knew it was one word so they're probably talking about Notorious from two weeks ago it's a good movie it's some good movie for them to go see I like Notorious a lot but how do I feel about Rope Starring Jimmy Stewart. Well, my hopes were high going in because, yes, Jimmy Stewart. But also the premise of the movie is two people host a party to see if they can get away with a the murder they just did. Now, that's an oversimplification. So we have our the movie doesn't waste time. Like you get your opening credits and it's the street view. Then it cuts into this apartment where two men are are strangling one other man. And as that man dies, they dump him in a box. And this is where the movie starts. And we're introduced to John Dahl, who plays a character named Brandon. And we're also introduced to Farley Granger, which is just a hilarious name. He plays Philip, And uh, these two guys are good buddies, I guess. And they decided a good way to kind of cement their friendship is to murder another friend of theirs so they they murder a fellow friend by the name of david kentley that's who they murdered and dumped in the box at the beginning of the movie now you could tell that and this is something that has happened in real life where you have one person who's the the sort of the actual sociopath and someone who just comes along for peer pressure and does a murder so it's not far-fetched but brandon played by John Dahl, is definitely our sociopath. And Philip is sort of the unwitting accomplice. Like, he's there for it. He is definitely part of the murder. They essentially strangle a guy with a rope, uh, hence the name. And each one of them is holding one side of that rope as it's wrapped around David's neck and he dies. So it's, it's there's no question over who murdered who, right? They establish up front, David's dead. He knows these two guys, and they totally killed him and dumped him in this box. It's like a chest. And to celebrate this, Brandon says, we're throwing a party. And, of course, Philip's like, no, we just murdered a guy. And you could tell that the murder wasn't really based on any sort of jealousy or motive, other than that Brandon wanted to know what it was like, I guess. And Philip is easily... Uh, coaxed into things you guys ever seen scream where uh skeet ulrich kills for revenge and then uh matthew lillard kills because of peer pressure that's what this is spoilers for scream by the way so they're gonna host this party and uh our their uh maid comes in and she's somewhat friendly with them it doesn't feel like a a boss you know, employee relationship, at least initially. And and this is Mrs. Wilson, who's played by Edith Evanson. And uh, she basically is there to help get them ready for the party, get them set up. Uh, the murder weapon is this rope that uh, our man, Brandon, hides in the kitchen. Now, one of the things that makes this movie kind of unique, or at least probably for the time, is it tries to, and I say tries to feel like it's done in one shot. And it fails in that in two ways. It is not shot in one, or at least acted in one shot. The performances, they do take cuts and everything. A lot of the times though, what they do is zoom in on the back of a person and then zoom out. So they zoom all the way in on someone's back. So the screen goes black and then they zoom out and you can tell we've kind of reset. Some of these are better than others. The first time it happens, it actually felt kind of smooth. I could tell what happened. I was looking for it, though. And but it was still pretty smooth. Then there's other ones where it just feels out of the blue. Like, why are we zooming in on this guy's back? For no reason, it feels like. But it's just to mask the seams, which would be fine. The issue is that there are two And possibly more. There are two that I noticed just normal hard cuts. The first one happens at 33. This movie is short. It's an hour and 20, which was awesome. Uh, But this movie uh, has a a hard cut at 33 minutes and 23 seconds, which I thought initially was on purpose. It represented a uh, point of view change in a way in the story. And I thought that was deliberate. But I'm not so sure now because at fifty-one, fifty-seven, there's a second hard cut, and it doesn't kind of hold water. My theory that it was done as a way to change perspective to represent a change of perspective. Uh, but there are at the very least, though, there are very few cuts in this movie. Um, the The scenes are quite long. And that's because this movie is based on a play and it's shot like a play. Uh, as you watch it, it feels like a play. And what I mean by that is it's all set in this apartment in largely two rooms. Now, there are some shots down a hallway as they go to the kitchen and to the dining room and out. But for the bulk of it, it's shot in the entranceway to this apartment and a large sort of living area where this party that they're putting on takes place so with those hard cuts it kind of makes me wonder why try to mask it as a one-shot movie then what's the point if you're gonna make hard cuts anyway just shoot it and then it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb but who am i i'm not alfred hitchcock so we're gonna go ahead and have a party now Brandon, again, John Dahl is so good in this movie. He's so arrogant and cocky, and he feels like he's in control of everything. He's a sociopath. And his whole thing was, like, just wanting to feel what it was like to murder someone. Now, Philip, on the other hand, is losing it. because Reasonably so, because they've murdered someone. He's hiding in a chest. Now John Dahl is throwing a party. Not only is he throwing a party, he's invited over, like, an old uh, college... Uh, acquaintance or possibly professor, uh, that is really good at deducing things. That's Jimmy Stewart, uh, who's playing Rupert C- uh, Cadell Cardell C A D E L L. And so Philip's like, Why are we inviting this guy over? He's super smart, he'll find us out. And to which Brandon says, That's the point, it's gonna be fun. I mean, that's let's he's essentially extending the experience of the kill into the experience of being worried about finding out. And that's part of the enjoyment for him. Whereas Philip, on the other hand, just doesn't want to go to jail at this point and is kind of thrown off at the same time because he just murdered a guy and a guy he knows, a friend of his. Now I'm no botanist, but generally speaking, when someone comes up missing, they look for someone who is close to them or knows them. Not only that, but David, the guy who's been killed has told everyone that he was heading over to this apartment and he was going to meet everyone there first. So now it places him squarely at their location, talking about seeing them. And now he's missing. So as, so guests of this party start to arrive, a pair of them, well, initially they had invited uh, the deceased's parents, which is just another, like, you could say this sort of like laughing in their face. Because now as they get ready for this party, they move all of this serving stuff that's in the dining room into this main lounge area where there's that giant chest that housed the dead body of David. And they place like candles and the food and everything on this chest. And it is the centerpiece for the rest of the movie. All the scenes take place near this chest. You don't see it all the time, but you know, it's in the room. And again, this is one of those things where this, I would like to see this play because I think if you were to see the play, the chest would always be in the foreground of the show. And there would be a constant reminder to you what's in there. And to a degree that happens here. But as guests start to arrive, they all are wondering, where's David? David was supposed to come. You invited David, right? Yes, I invited David. It's weird. He's normally not late. David doesn't drink two cups of coffee at home. Now, he's. I said he invited his uh, David's parents. But his mom tends to be sick a lot david's mom so his dad comes as well as his aunt uh who is sort of over the top um what's her name uh mrs atwater played by uh constance collier and uh this is a relatively small cast like if you look oh and i can say as i'm looking at imdb that uh, alfred hitchcock did make a appearance as a man walking in the street after the opening which is where I thought he'd have to be because uh, this is a small cast of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people not counting Alfred Hitchcock. And again, it all takes place in the small room as it is a play. So as guests arrive again, you, there's a, it's like the Brand, Brandon's kind of an idiot um, Because he says things that just implicates him or will implicate him as the missing David becomes more and more noticed. So he invites this dude. His name's Kenneth. And Kenneth used to date this girl named Janet, who is currently dating the now deceased David. Right. And before she dated Kenneth, she dated Brandon. And so what? brandon has done is invited these two that had sort of a rough breakup and janet's upset that he's coming and kenneth has been told well don't worry you've got a good chance with her i have a feeling well what he's not saying is because her boyfriend's dead in that chest over there and that again implicate like he goes right he's giving things away it's almost like he wants to get caught and the whole time though philip's like come on man damn it So the party goes on and, and Jimmy Stewart does show up and he does notice a handful of things are off. Nothing too suspicious, but he is overhearing a conversation because there are several scenes with the characters kind of introducing them and that there's an argument or maybe not an argument. They come to an understanding, Janet and Kenneth, they come to an understanding that they are not really mad at each other. What they are mad at is Brandon for essentially setting them up. They find out that he was lying. They also like Kenneth says, well, he said this thing about me having a chance with you, which makes me think that they knew David wasn't coming. Another way to implicate yourself. So they're having this conversation and um, Jimmy Stewart overhears it. And while he doesn't suspect murder right away, he does suspect that Brandon might've had a hand in them going missing. Now, Jimmy Stewart as a teacher has kind of apparently sowed these, they, they, there's a point where Brandon says he even thought about bringing in Jimmy Stewart's character as part of the plot to kill this guy. Cause he thinks he'd understand. And that's not unfounded because Jimmy Stewart, says some pretty stupid stuff
1: now you don't really approve of murder Rupert. if i may you may and i do think of the problems it would solve unemployment poverty standing in line for theater tickets i must say i've had a perfectly dreadful time getting tickets for that new musical what's it called you know the something with what's her name (laughs) my dear miss Adwater. Careful application of the trigger finger and a pair of seats in the first row is yours for the shooting. And have you had any difficulty in getting into our velvet rope restaurants? Frightful! A very simple matter. A flick of the knife, madame. And if you'll kindly step this way... Oh, no, a step over the head waiter's body. Thank you. And here's your table. (laughs) Rupert, you're the end. There's a hotel clerk I could cheerfully flick a knife at. Oh, no, sorry. Knives may not be used on hotel employees. They are in the death by slow torture category. Oh. <laughs> along with bird lovers, small children, and tap dancers. <laughs> Landlords, of course, are another matter. You're seeking an apartment? Call on our Miss Sashwaite of the Blunt <laughs> Instrument Department. What a divine idea. If it suits your purpose merely, But then we'd all be murdering each other. Oh, no. Oh, no. After all, murder is, or should be, an art, not one of the seven lively, perhaps, but an art, nevertheless. And as such, the privilege of committing it should be reserved for those few who are really superior individuals. And the victims, inferior beings whose lives are unimportant anyway. Obviously. Now, mind you, I don't hold with the extremists who feel that there should be open season for murder all year round. No, personally, I would prefer to have Cutter throat week or uh, strangulation day. So
0: So spoilers, at some point in this movie, Jimmy Stewart's going to take the moral high ground. And as you listen to that, he casually brings up child murder. As a way to get laughs at a party. And that second male voice you heard was Brandon chiming in sort of echoing the things that he had already heard being a student of Jimmy Stewart's. And so these ideas that he has of superior beings and lesser beings, um, he gets from Jimmy Stewart. They do bring up Hitler and his idea of superior beings and they dismiss them as, being faulty in his execution more so than his beliefs. So that's awesome. That's sarcasm. I don't want, that is not awesome, but that sets the table. No pun intended for the rest of this, where Jimmy Stewart spends a lot of time looking around and he starts to pick up on clues that they have more to do with David being missing. And a lot of those clues are given to them by Philip who just is so nervous and on edge. He can't keep his mouth shut. At one point he tries to play it cool, but he comes off as an asshole to their maid, uh, who again is part of the party initially. And she's talking to Jimmy Stewart and kind of flirting with him. She's got a thing for him. And Phillips like stop, you know, pestering the guests and start serving them. And it's the first time that, that he pulls kind of rank in this movie. And I don't know if, like, Philip is roommates with Brandon. It seems like they live together. Regardless, it doesn't matter. So the party continues, and there's just some more hints that he's picking up on. And he starts to—Jimmy Stewart starts to probe a little more. But as the party winds down, people start leaving. Now, this movie is shot in real time, right? So you're not—even though there are a couple hard cuts— There's no gaps in time. So think 24, but just an hour and 20 minutes. Why I say that is because these people start leaving the party and they've been here tops 40 minutes. That's a short party. And everybody's had drinks and food and are now leaving. Uh, now, part of the reason they leave, though, is because uh, David's mom has called and she hasn't everybody's v- at varying degrees worried about David and David's mom calls to speak with uh, her husband, David's dad, and she's not feeling well. She hasn't heard from David. And this prompts uh, David's dad to head home. Now, they, the, the whole reason this party was thrown was for David's dad and also to pick up some books. These books, again, our sociopath, Brandon, has used the rope that tied those books together. Or excuse me, that killed David to tie the books together. And as they leave, everyone leaves at once, including Jimmy Stewart. Now, Jimmy Stewart is handed a hat out of the, the wardrobe or cupboard or whatever they call it. And it's got DK, David's initials on it, and it doesn't fit Jimmy Stewart and that's sort of like the final straw. He knows something's up. So as he leaves, um, and eventually the maid leaves as well. And there's a moment, and the acting from John Dahl is so good, when they all leave and he feels like he's gotten away with it. He has this exhale that just is perfectly done.
1: Be careful, Here we are. Even. I'm all already- right Thank you. Good, night, Mr. good night, Mr. Cadell. Oh, are you going to? Yes. Yes, I must. Good night. Good night. Can I help you with those
0: books, Mr. Caddell? Thanks. I'm not sure how well that picked up, uh, but it's a, a, a very good moment to really show how much pleasure Brandon is getting out of this game he is playing. He takes a cigarette out and he has a conversation with Philip for a while about how close they were to being caught when the phone rings and Philip answers. And, of course, it's Jimmy Stewart saying he forgot his cigarette case and he'd like to come back up. So Jimmy Stewart comes up and while they're not looking, he plants his cigarette case on the box containing David. And he starts posing some questions, I guess, to make 100 percent sure, but he's pretty much already ready. And they established too that Brandon does have a gun on him and he's constantly got his hand in his pocket. So as he's making accusations, um, he still is trying to play it off as if he's not trying to accuse them, but rather playing his game of murder, you know, cause he's already this murdery type <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's character, um, uh, with what I played you before. And, uh, he, uh, eventually points out, hey, you're making me nervous because that's a gun in your pocket. And uh, genius level acting, John Dahl plays it off like, oh, this is just because I carry it because we were going to go on our trip and you have to be careful and all that other stuff. And he kind of throws the gun on the piano. Well, Philip takes advantage of this by grabbing the gun because at some point Jimmy Stewart pulls the rope out, the rope that bound those books that he has taken from the books now and is using it as a way to say, I know what you've done. And uh, so Philip takes the gun and he's going to shoot both of them if he has to. Jimmy Stewart disarms him and uh, then says, you know, does more monologue because now he knows for sure. And he talks about what he's going to do is look in that box. And I hope I'm wrong. And he looks in the box and we get another clumsy cut where it tries to look like it's one continuous shot, but you can tell it's not. And he finds the body of David. Uh, There's more yelling. And uh, then there's like a long monologue from Jimmy Stewart, like a a self-righteous one. And then he even says, you rightly used my words against me and you've made me rethink my beliefs. At what point Jimmy Stewart's character Did you really think that being on the right side of an argument is to be pro-murder? And now that he's seen murder, like he changes his tune. It's so weird because he's like, well, now that I've seen this murder, I, I know now that you shouldn't murder people because we're all just living beings. Yes. No, duh. And this is where the movie breaks down. Because, frankly, the first third of this movie is really great. And the middle part's okay. And then the end kind of takes a a nosedive. Um, And it's because of the character that Jimmy Stewart plays is inconsistent to me. It doesn't make sense. It feels like it's written in a way like the screenplay is good in what dialogue they say, but where the plot goes doesn't make sense in the end. It almost made more sense if Jimmy Stewart tried to help them. But I guess you need a hero. But who actually thinks and walks around saying murder's great. Murder is great. You should be allowed to kill people who are lesser than you. And then when you see murder happen, you go, oh, wait, maybe not. That's the problem with this movie. That doesn't make sense what a dum-dum like they play him off as this super smart intellectual guy who's able to deduce this murder and pick up on the subtle hints that aren't so subtle and at the end it does it's dumb i don't get it so jimmy stewart opens a window and fires off rounds to get the police's attention and then sits down and waits for the police to arrive while brandon grabs a drink He's nonchalant. He knows he's busted and he's just as nonchalant as ever. Great performance. And then Philip starts to play the piano. That's the end of the movie. I had hoped that this would be great. And while there are flashes of brilliance in Rope, the ending really didn't jive with me. And Jimmy Stewart's character actually felt stupid like the character just didn't make sense he didn't have a consistent outlook on anything um and he was just there he felt more like a plot device to uncover things than anything else the most interesting character is brandon because he's a sociopath and he's played so well And that's really the main reason to watch the movie. The other reason is it's an hour and 20 minutes. So the runtime is wonderful. And the movie doesn't waste time. Like a lot of the conversations do serve a purpose. They establish different relationships and things like that. But none of them actually make a big difference because it's only really about Philip, Brandon, and Jimmy Stewart's character. I would say you could pass on it. It's so short and... There's such a great performance there in John Dahl that it's worth watching though. So we move ahead another year to 1949 to watch under Capricorn. Now, one thing that's happened doing this podcast is been trying to find certain movies. Some of them are not available to stream or to rent. Sometimes I have to resort to trying to find them on YouTube or that website daily motion. I had to use a lot early on and I hope, and I believe because the rest of the movies after um, under Capricorn are pretty famous there's uh, a couple like I confess I'm not too familiar with and then um, there's a Topaz I'm not too familiar with but largely after we get through under Capricorn we really start to hit the big ones Strangers on a Train which we still have stage fright to go which um is not a particularly famous hitchcock movie but um anyway i don't know maybe it maybe it's but it is available to rent anyway so under capricorn is on daily motion as of this recording hopefully it's still there so i can watch it um but it actually stars the return of ingrid bergman now i've talked a bit about various male stars uh carrie grant ivor novella now jimmy stewart uh, and gregory peck and these actors who keep coming back up this is ingrid bergman's third film that i've seen and i believe she has another one even coming up actually it looks like this may be her last hitchcock movie ingrid bergman is awesome now the first movie she was in spellbound it you know her performance was fine but then notorious was awesome and she was awesome so i'm looking forward to seeing her again in this 1949, it's the last movie of the 40s. I mean, we're really doing it, aren't we? Uh, We're almost in the 50s. And I mean, the movies start picking up. Dial in, rear window, Catch a Thief, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Like, it's going to start hitting fast and hard. Things are starting to pick up. and We're going to get the goods. Hopefully, we can get something that's just unequivocally great. You know what? Notorious is great notorious is really good i'm excited now okay i've waded through the the sea of garbage and found a few hidden gems in a turd bucket now it's time to actually get to the good stuff and hopefully that starts very soon but until then let's watch under capricorn uh this is Hitchcock Chronologically. You can email me at HitchcockChronologically at gmail.com. Check out the Discord link in the description if you want to join the Budget Arcade Discord to hang out with me and chat all things Hitchcock or video games or whatever. Be sure to check out my other podcast that I do with Mark. It's about movies. It's called The Movie Draft House, uh, And then, of course, Budget Arcade. Find that wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next week.